Today's going to be a, a Bible day, so I want you to get out your Bibles. I'll have it on the screen, but man, there is something about having your Bible in your hand, whether it's your physical Bible or whether it's a digital Bible. I like both. I'm a big fan of the digital Bible. Uh, but there is something about having just the Word. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? But I'm kind of a book guy anyways. Like, I like to go to the library and, like, sniff books. Like, I'm kind of that guy anyways. Like, they just, they smell good to me. They feel good to me. I like them. Um, if I could be in a chair with a cup of coffee with a book in my hand, that, that's with some dim lighting and maybe some, like, lo-fi music, that's my happy place in the universe. Um, so go ahead and get out your Bible. You're going to turn to Ephesians 4. And for those of you who might not know me, my name is Corey. I am one of our leaders here at Upper Room. I am married to the beautiful Anna, who is not in here. She's taking our kids to class. And we've got four little kids that you will see running around from seven all the way down to almost a year old. So we've got four little ones. And I am passionate about the Word of God. I love to study the Word of God. I love to teach the Word of God. I'm so excited to get to teach you guys this morning. And, uh, and then at the end, what I want to do is I'm going to bring the band up, and I think that we're going to have a ministry time today. And I, I, I love the Word, but I, I feel like I'm a man of Word and Spirit. I love to slow down. I love to study. I love to teach. I love to dive into the Word. I love to go deep. But I love the Spirit of God. And I love it when the Holy Spirit comes into the room and begins to move through the room and begins to minister. Jesus prophesied that there would come a time that those who worship would worship in spirit and in truth. That we need the truth dimension, but we also need the spirit dimension, right? So I want you guys to open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, and we're gonna get into it. And I'm believing for the Lord to touch some people today. All right, so Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. Thank you for our church. I thank you for every person that made the choice today to get up and to get out of bed and to come to church. It's a powerful decision to make in the 21st century. Lord, I thank you, God, for their worship. I thank you for their passion. I thank you for their sincerity. I thank you for the fire that's in this room. For the burning hearts, Lord, I thank you for the way that they pray and the way that they give and the way that they serve, God. We're a part of a wonderful church. So, Lord, I'm grateful this morning. And most of all, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you come to our church, that your presence fills the room week after week. You're the best part of church. You are the best part of church. There's nothing that's better than being in your presence. There's nothing better than being with you. There's nothing better than talking to you and singing to you and looking at you and thinking about you. There's nothing better than you. You're the best thing. You're the best part. But what a privilege to be in your house, God. What a privilege to be here this morning and just to get to be with you. Move today in our midst, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys in Ephesians 4? I gave you time. So if you're not there, you're probably not going to find it. Um, here's Ephesians 4. We're going to kick it off says this. I'll start in verse 1, but we're really going to focus down in verses 4 through 11 today. Let's just read from the beginning. This is Paul 
writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Paul had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel all over the world. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, the believers in the church in Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want to pause there and I want to highlight that line because that is the line that we're going to focus on today. He says, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul was jealous for there to be unity in the church. And the next few verses are going to be about unity. They're going to be about the unification of the church, the things that we believers in the church unite around, the things that tether us together, the things that bond us. He calls it the bond of peace. It's the things that cause us to have peace with one another, to be in good relationship with one another, to want to be friends with one another. You know, some of us in this room, if we were just talking in the natural, we probably wouldn't want to hang out with one another. Some of you are like, that's right, brother, preach that. I'll tell you a couple right now that I wouldn't want to hang out with, you know? There's a few, there's a few people in this room, for whatever reason, they might have different interests than you, or they might have a different personality than you, right? They might watch different movies than you like to watch or listen to different music, you know? How do you listen to that noise, you know? And they think about your music. They're thinking the exact same thing. They don't like your music either, you know? Um, there's people in this room that you, you, that when it comes to natural things, you might not gravitate towards them, right? Uh, I love C.S. Lewis said that when you find a friend, you find someone who says, oh, you too? Someone that they, they like the thing that you like. They're interested in the thing that you're interested in. It's like me when I'm like, oh, you've read all of J.R.R. Tolkien's books and want to talk about them for hours and hours on end? Oh, no, you too? It's only like, you know, a few of us in the world. And so, like, I'm, it's good to meet you. You know, and other people are like, what? Nerds. Get them out of here, you know? And so when I find someone who's like that, they're a big nerd like me. There's something inside of me that says, oh, you too. Let's be friends. You know, but then there's a lot of people I meet. And I'm like, I don't even, I don't think we have anything in common. I don't know if we have any common ground. But what Paul says is that there are certain things that unify us, that bring us together, that they create a bond of peace. And it's a supernatural bond of peace that transcends any kind of natural affinity for relationship with one another. We might not have the same hobbies, okay? We might not like the same sports. We might not want to do the same things on the weekend. But there are certain things, and they're the deepest things. They're the most important things. They're the greatest things that unite us. And what unites us is greater than anything that differentiates us. The things that are different about us are inferior to the things that are now the same in Christ. And so he's going to make that point today that, hey, anything that would draw us apart 
It's not nearly as powerful as the thing that draws us together. Okay? And so Paul's about to give us seven pillars that uphold and unite the church. If you're taking notes, that's a good line to write down. There are seven pillars that uphold and unite the church. And we have to protect and to preserve these seven pillars. We have to guard them. We have to cherish them. We have to honor them. And we have to continually rally around them. These are the things that create the bond of peace, the unity of the spirit that Paul's talking about. So he's about to now move forward in the passage and he's gonna give us these seven pillars, okay? So here's what he says. I'll finish verse three. So be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. He says it seven times. And if you know anything about Hebrew culture, Jewish culture, you would know that seven is a powerful number. That seven is a number that symbolizes perfection or completion or fullness. So to say a word seven times in two verses is Paul as a Jew, as a Hebrew screaming, this is really important. I really want you to understand this. That's why I'm repeating myself seven times. So here are the seven pillars. First one is this. He says that there is one spiritual body. There is one spiritual body. Say it a different way. There is one church. You say, Corey, that's not true. There are tens of thousands of churches and they have different names and they have different leaders and they have different doctrinal statements and of course, there's, there's all kinds of different denominations and movements and flavors and styles and preferences. Listen, beloved, there is one church. Listen, when we get to heaven, you're not gonna find the Baptists living on one street and the Methodists living on a different street and the Pentecostals, they, they put them like way out in the countryside. Like get, get those guys out of here, put them in a tent somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, like you know what I mean? Like that's not how it's going to work. Did you know that? That your denomination of, denominational affiliation will not make it past the pearly gates. It will not. Your pastor of preference, whoever you like to watch on YouTube, whoever's podcast you're subscribed to, beloved, that will not define you in the age to come. There is one name that is written on you. And it is the name of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. There is not Paul and there is not Apollos. He makes this very clear in 1 Corinthians where they were dividing along different lines. They said, well, one says, I belong to Paul. And another says, I belong to Apollos. And he says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But a servant of Jesus Christ. 
How dare you take the name of a servant and make that your master? Beloved, there's one church and there is one head of this body and there is no man and there is no movement and there is no brand that could ever rise to that position of prominence. There is one name that has been named in heaven and on earth. And it's the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen, church? And so I want you to know that when the Lord looks down from heaven, that he's not dividing us into our different buildings and, or into our different titles. When the Lord looks down from heaven right now, this moment at Tip City, Ohio, he sees the church of Tip City. He sees the body of Tip City. He sees the ones that are gathered in different buildings across the city. He sees a couple that slept in this morning and they're still snoozing right now. He sees the ones that are watching online. He sees the ones that are on vacation. But listen, he knows the church of Tip City. The church of Tip City is every single person whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's only two categories, beloved. There's a narrow road or there's a broad road. There's a narrow gate or there's a broad gate. There's sheep or there's goats. There's foolish virgins or there's wise virgins. There's those that the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into your rest. You're invited into my kingdom. And there's those the Lord says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. There's only one division within humanity. And I want to make this clear. There is a dividing line. Because there's some people, even in the church, who are starting to move into a doctrine that says there's no division. Beloved, there are those that know God, and there are those that do not know God. There are na those whose names have been written in the book of life, and there are those whose names have not been written in the book of life. There are those who have bent knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are those who are actively resisting him and fighting him and pushing him away and running away from him. There is one division in humanity, and it's the question of whether you're a part of the kingdom of darkness or whether you're a part of the kingdom of light. And what Paul says in Ephesians is if you have believed in Christ and confessed his name, then you have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you are now sons and daughters of the light. And so what I would say is even in this church, not everyone in the room is in the book. And I want to appeal to you this morning that if your name is not written in the Lord Jesus' book, if his spirit has not yet come into you, if you have not yet given your life to him, bent your knee to him, pledged your allegiance to him, I want to beg you today to give yourself to the Lord Jesus. It is the only thing that matters. On the last day, there's one question. Do you know him or do you not know him? Better said, does he know you? It comes down to our relationship to Jesus. All of life comes down to that moment where you stand before that man and you look into his eyes and you are either part of him or you are not part of him. And so if you haven't given yourself to him yet, I'm crying out to you today. Give your life to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Ignore everything I say the rest of the sermon and bow your head right now and give yourself to him. There would be nothing better that could happen. There's one body. 
there's one church. And that one body is animated by one spirit. The same way in Genesis 2, the Lord made the man, he made his body, and then he breathed his spirit into him as the life-giving factor. It says there's one body and there's one spirit. We've been given the Holy Spirit that fills our body, that fills the church. Next, there's one hope. And I want to read this line because it's really cool and it's going to help us to understand our calling, which we're going to talk about later. It says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. So we're going to talk in a minute about how there's actually many different callings and there's many different giftings. But the idea here is that every calling and every gifting, imagine them like different streams, they all eventually flow together as one river towards one hope. And First Peter says this, set your hope fully on the day that the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. There's one hope in the church, and our hope is that Jesus is one day going to split the skies, and that he is going to descend to the earth, and that he is going to be king forever and ever, and that the increase of his government, his kingdom, will know no end. And the root of Jesse will ascend to the throne of David. And he will rule and reign from Jerusalem for forevermore. I just said like 18 passages of scripture. If you didn't know that, I'm telling you. That none of that was from me. That's all, that was just quoting scripture there. That's, that's in the book. Jesus is coming back. And he is our one hope. And that is what unifies us. Right? We might not have the same preferences. We might not even vote the same. We might not spend our money the same. But we are looking forward to one hope. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and that unites our hearts. Next, it says that we have one Lord. We've already talked about this. This is referring to Jesus, our one master, that we've all pledged ourselves to the same person, right? Even if I can't connect with you about anything else, I can connect with you about Jesus. And the great thing is, is that he's infinite in beauty and that me and you could talk forever about Jesus. We could have hours and hours and hours of conversation. We could hang out every day around Jesus. Even if there's nothing else in common between us, we love the same man. We've fallen in love with the same person. We've been saved by the same savior. And that brings us together. Next, it says that we have one faith, right? That we all believe in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. That is our confession, and that he's ascended into the heavens, and that he'll descend to the earth one day to rule and reign. That is our shared confession, our shared faith. And even if we argue about the details, we can come together on that. It says that we have one baptism, Baptism is the spiritual right that brings us into the church, that makes us a part of the community. It's our public display of what's happened inside of our hearts with Jesus. And we're united in the fact that we've all given ourselves to baptism, right? Uh, we don't all go get tattoos, but let's just imagine that getting a really cool tattoo was the, the right of getting into the church. It's not, I'm not preaching that. Let's just imagine, right? And so if you met anyone, right? If I went up to you and I was like, 
and they're like awesome we got you we got the same tattoo right it's we've gone through the same right we've gone through the same it's like people who are in a sorority or fraternity they're like did they pick you up and throw you in a van and like you know spray like whipped cream all over you it's like that happened to me too when I was a freshman awesome we feel united right I wasn't in a fraternity or sorority I don't know how that works but I've heard that there are initiation rites baptism is the initiation rite of the church it's how you get in it's how you become a part of this right and we can all look at each other and say have you gone under the water did you leave your old life behind did you come out of the water and begin a new life in Christ me too Let's be best friends, right? We have one God and Father. One God. We all worship one God. We all have one Father. That we are children of the same Father. We are brothers and sisters, right? And in heaven, we are going to be one family. It will not be a divided family. It will not be a broken family. It will not be a dysfunctional family. In heaven, we will be a part of one family, that will spend eternity with each other. So it's, it's worthwhile to start liking each other now because you're going to spend a lot of time with these people. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, and I love it. I sometimes think like, you know, sometimes people get annoyed with someone in church and then they go move to a different church. I'm convinced that, that Jesus is like, all right, move their mansions next door. That's it. That's it. They get 60 years apart. They get 600 billion years right next door to each other. They are going to be neighbors for a long time in eternity. So just know that if you're walking in disunity with someone, you're probably gonna have them as your next door neighbor. I think that's his strategy. I'm not sure. I can't, I can't prove it, but I think that's, that's true. Okay, so these are the seven pillars that uphold and unite the church and they keep us together. And these are more powerful than anything that would split us apart. Okay, but let's read the next verse. It says, but grace, verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So here's the, the idea. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, many giftings, many callings. Do you see what Paul just did there? Right? It'd be like if the band was playing one chord. And then they switched down to a different chord. And in the room, everyone would feel it. Oh, he just did something different there. And that's what he does in this passage. He says there are many giftings and there are many callings. So here's the idea. The church is unity expressed through diversity. The church is a unity expressed through diversity we are unified in the seven things that i just mentioned to you those seven realities those seven pillars but then there's all kinds of diversity that exists outside of that different personalities and different interests and different backgrounds and different giftings and different callings and that's the way that the lord designed it that part of the way that the lord wants to bring glory to himself is to take different people and to bring them together and for them to figure out how to love one another. This is actually God's great strategy on the earth is to bring different people together who kind of rub each other the wrong way and for them to figure out how to love each other and he gets glory through that. 
So we are not called to uniformity. We're not called to all have the same personality, same gifts, same calls. We are called to be different, and that's actually part of the beauty of the church. We're one body with many parts, okay? Now, we're going to skip down a little bit to verse 11, and let me tell you what happens in the three verses in between. Paul says that when Jesus died and was buried, that he descended and that when he was resurrected, that he ascended. And that when he continued in his ascension to the heavens, that what he did was give out gifts to his followers. And this is what we're talking about today, is the idea that Jesus has given out different callings as gifts. Jesus has given out different anointings and different giftings as gifts to us and here what he's specifically going to talk about are five different kinds of leaders and these five different kinds of leaders are these five leadership positions that exist to the church in the church they are gifts that he's given to us leaders are gifts i know we don't always feel that about our leaders sometimes we get grumpy with our leaders and sometimes we complain about our leaders, and sometimes we don't want to follow our leaders. But the reality, especially biblically, is that leaders are a gift, that we need leadership in our lives, and that we should want leadership in our lives, and that we should invite leadership into our lives, and that we should submit to the leadership of others in our lives, and that that's something that's good for us. And that's a little bit hard to hear in a culture that's very individualistic, and that's not so interested in authority or leadership. Uh, we like to get onto YouTube and to make videos criticizing our leaders. That's our culture's favorite thing to do. And what I would say is that um, you have a difficult time finding a verse in the New Testament that would support that kind of behavior. Unless I'm wrong, you can bring it to me after service. I'd be happy to change my opinion on that. But I think you would struggle to justify how our culture treats its leaders. But I could be wrong. I would encourage you to take some time to study that on your own. But here's the deal. The Lord has given the church leaders to do two specific things. The Lord has given the church leaders to preserve our unity. So that unity that I just talked about, the Lord has put leaders in place to protect that and to guard that and to preserve that and to make sure that that doesn't fracture. So there are leaders that are empowered to try to sustain that through many years, as the church goes down through history and goes down through the generations, there's leaders who have been empowered by God who are supposed to keep us together, supposed to draw us in, keep us focused on the right things and not let us wander off down different paths. Thank God for leaders. But the other thing is that leaders have been empowered to cultivate that diversity. Leaders are called to cultivate that, diver that diversity that God has given leaders to the church to draw out anointings and giftings and callings and purposes. Leaders are meant to, to come to believers in the church and to say, I see this inside of you. I see a calling on your life. I see a little tiny flame in you that's one day gonna be a raging fire. I see a gifting, a little, a little seed of a gift inside of you, but one day it's going to be an oak tree of anointing. 
I see, I see. And that's what leaders are supposed to do. They're meant to draw greatness out of others, right? Leaders aren't those who are trying to be great. Leaders are those that make others great. Too often, we see the church, and specifically its leaders, as the players that are on the field. And for many of us, when we're sitting in the congregation, we feel like we're the spectators that are sitting in the stands. That is not a biblical model for church. It was never supposed to be that there's a few people who do the work of the kingdom, and then there's a bunch of people who pay them to do it through their tithes and offerings. And I'm not against salaries, and I'm not against clergy, and I'm not against staff, and I'm not against leaders. No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is that every single believer is meant to be in the game. You're on the team, and you're not the water boy. You're not. You're not. You're on the team, and you have a vital role to play within the church. Let me say it differently. We need you. We need you. I need you. I need you to walk in your calling. I need you. I do. Corey, I need you. My spiritual growth and maturity and vitality has something to do with you walking in your anointing and with you walking in your calling and with you using your gifts. And if you don't do your thing, then maybe I won't be able to do my thing. Sometimes the word that will lead you into breakthrough is sitting inside of someone else. Sometimes the advice that will lead you into wisdom is inside of the mind and experience of someone else that's sitting in the church. And if we sit on the bench or if we sit in the stand and if we think that we're spectators, then we're depriving one another of the grace of God. I need you. We need you. The team needs you. We can't do this without you. The kingdom isn't going to spread all around the world if we're all sitting on our hands. So if there's anyone in this building that feels like they've been a spectator, that feels like they've been sitting on the bench, I want to call you today to get in the game. God has something on your life that's so powerful and that's so amazing. There's a part of the kingdom that has your name on it. There's, there's territory that you have to go take and plant your flag. There's people who might only respond to the gospel if they hear it from your lips. We need you. We need you. So I'm calling out the giftings, the anointings, the callings. It's what, it's what she was saying today. There's mantles that certain people need to pick up and to put on their shoulders to begin to run in. I want to briefly cover these five leadership positions. I'm just going to give you a couple sentences on each. And then I want to have a time of ministry. The first one is called an apostle. Apostle comes from a Greek word. It's a verb. It's apostello. And it means to send out Specifically, to send out on a mission. And so apostles are those who have been sent on a mission by Jesus. And the specific mission 
that apostles are sent on, I'll give you a sentence here, is that they are called to start new works among new people in new places. I'll say it again. Apostles are called to start new works among new peoples in new places. God raises up apostolic leaders when he's wanting to initiate a new work, when he's wanting to reach a new group of people, or when he's wanting the church, the kingdom, to expand into new places where it's never gone before. That might be across the world. That might be across the street. But God will send his spirit to anoint specific people to initiate new works in the kingdom. And these are called apostles. A couple things about apostles. They are pioneering leaders. They are willing to blaze new trails. They are willing to go where others have not gone. I always picture apostles as like Amazonian explorers, like Indiana Jones style, like kind of cutting their way through the bush. Got a whip on their hip. You know what I mean? Like that's how I picture apostles is that the Lord says, go over there. And the apostle says back, but Lord, there's no path. And the Lord chuckles and says, that's exactly right. You know, when they just start cutting their way through, right? Get like bit by a tarantula and they don't die just like apostle Paul. You know what I mean? They're wild. They're dreamers. They're visionaries. They can see possibilities before they even exist. And they say, let's build something for God. Okay? Apostles are spiritual architects. They have a passion for building, for constructing, for designing, for organizing. You give them the blueprints, man, and they'll get the job done. And so they're passionate about building the church. Paul said of his apostolic ministry, he said, like an expert builder, I have laid foundations for the church. Be careful how you build upon these. In 1 Corinthians. So this is the idea. Apostles build the church. We sometimes call these missionaries. We sometimes call these church planners. We sometimes call these entrepreneurs, organizational leaders. But they're person that the Lord will raise up to start a new thing and often the Lord will use this person to raise up and empower the other types of leadership that we're about to talk to so the apostle Paul would go into a city there would be no church there would be no believers and he would begin to preach the gospel and all of a sudden there would be believers there would be a church and out of that church he would begin to cultivate new leaders the apostle is a leader of leaders and they say you are a prophet now the church has a prophet. I see an evangelistic anointing in you. Now the church has an evangelist. Wow, you're sharp-minded. You love to study the word. Now the church has a teacher. And the apostle would raise up these other kind of leaders, and then a lot of times they would roll out, right? The apostle Paul would establish the church, fill it with believers, raise up leaders. They'd be like, all right, guys, gotta go. And he'd jump on a boat, and he'd head off to wherever he was going next. And he would do it again. And that's something that's embedded within the apostolic calling is to continue to pioneer, to continue to push the boundaries of the church out. Next is a leadership position that's called being a prophet, okay? And the role of the prophet is this. A prophet is called to bring revelation from God to the church. That revelation might come through dreams. It might come through visions. It might come through words. It might come through whispers. 
It might come through signs and wonders and miracles. There's all kinds of different ways that prophets engage their prophetic ministry in the scripture. But these are the people that are supposed to bring revelation from God to the church. They bring what's in heaven down to the earth. We desperately need prophets in our midst. Prophets act as a counterbalance for apostles in the same way that prophets in the Old Testament were a counterbalance to the authority of kings. Whereas apostles have organizational authority, prophets have deep spiritual influence. And the influence of the prophet is meant to be a counterbalance to the authority of the apostle. That's why Paul says earlier in Ephesians that the foundations of the church are laid by apostles and prophets. That they work together as a pioneering team to lay foundations for the church and to begin to construct the church and they balance each other out. And what's great is that they usually have vastly different personalities and they have to cultivate love as they learn to work together. I don't know if you've ever known an apostle and a prophet they're usually just very, very, very different. They think different, and they lead different, and they talk different, and it's so great. That's how God has designed it. Prophets are called to do a couple things. First is they are called to advise. So a prophet goes before the Lord, gets revelation from the Lord, brings that revelation back to the leaders of the church, and gives them advice or counsel that helps them to make their decisions and to exercise their authority. Number two, prophets are called to proclaim. There are times where a prophet will get a revelation from the Lord and they're called to stand up in front of the church and they're called to give that revelation to the entire church and to lead them into the mind of God, the heart of God, the will of God, the purpose of heaven. God has given us prophets to proclaim third thing and this is probably most of of the time prophets are called to pray a lot of times when we call people intercessors we're using the really nice version of they're actually prophets in our midst that god speaks to these men and women and most of the time the only thing that they're supposed to do is get down on their knees and pray and in the place of prayer they birth the prophetic purposes of god like elijah down on his knees praying in the rain you guys feel that? And so we have prophets in our midst who their main thing is to not be heard, but to actually get down and bury their faces into intercession and to cause realities to happen that wouldn't have happened if they wouldn't have prayed. Thank God for prophets in our midst. They bring spiritual alignment to the community. When we begin to get off, they bring us right back into the will of God. Thank you, Lord, for prophets. The next is called an evangelist, okay? They are called to bring the gospel outside of the church to unbelievers. All right, these are the people who are like, guys, 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 this is great. This is great. I love the drum set. But what about the people who are lost? What about the people who are hurting? What about the people who haven't heard yet? And this person is desperately needed in the church. They're the person who reminds us that it's not about what's happening here in these four walls. 
that there is a world outside of our church, there is a world outside of our ministry, there is a world outside of our spiritual services, and that world desperately needs Jesus, and we can never get so focused on this that we forget about them because the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. And evangelists are the ones who constantly remind us that the Son of Man came to seek and save what is lost. Thank God for Steve Bowen. We're in here doing our thing, and Steve's like, hey, guys, why don't you bring a flower to someone who's hurting? We're all like, oh, that's going to feel uncomfortable. We, we, we actually need to do that. And we need 50 Steve Bowens. We do. We need 50 Steve Bowens to remind us to go out and share the gospel and to evangelize and to make disciples and to visit people in prison and to visit those who are sick and to go and take care of widows. We need evangelists to push us out because we like to hang out in. That's the tendency. They bring light into the darkness. They're burning for people to be saved and healed and delivered. It's like they got this itch that can't be scratched unless they're out seeking and saving what is lost. Oh, we need evangelists in our midst. God, give us evangelists. And we need young evangelists and we need old evangelists. Who's going to go into the nursing homes and seek and save the lost before they breathe their last breath? That's a ministry right there. Who's going to go into the high schools? That's a ministry right there. Who's going to go into the businesses? That's a ministry right there. And the five people on staff don't have time and energy to go do it all. That's why we need you. We need you. We need you. The city needs you. This nation needs you. The kingdom needs you. You're part of this. You guys with me? Okay. Let's wrap this thing up. Band, if you want to start heading up, that'd be awesome. There's two more positions and there's a debate about whether these are two separate positions or whether this is one position. So it's either that there's a pastoral leader and that there's a teaching leader, or another way that you could interpret this verse is that there's a pastoral teaching leader. And if you go read commentaries, different ones will go in different directions. I'm going to teach it as if they're two separate things and you don't vibe with that you just go ahead and you just you just put them back together cool um i do it's a little uncertain in the greek so we just don't know okay but let me talk about pastors real quick pastors are called to care for the people in the church the word pastor is the same as the word shepherd and this is a symbol right this is not the person who cares for our sheep out back behind the church in the pasture Right? This is a metaphor. They are the shepherds of our community. And what do shepherds do? They care for their sheep. They protect the sheep. They provide for the sheep. They meet the practical needs of the sheep. Right? And they tend lovingly, doing anything that's needed to make sure that those sheep stay healthy and vibrant. And so God has given us pastors, big-hearted pastors, loving pastors, caring pastors, gentle, compassionate, patient, long-suffering, long-listening pastors who are willing to walk with people through the seasons of life and to make sure that they stay healthy, to make sure that they have the advice that they need, to make sure that they have the guidance that directs them. We desperately need pastors 
Without pastors, the whole thing gets wonky. Is anyone thankful for Pastor Josh? I love it. Pastor Josh has a burning heart to see our marriages healthy, our families healthy, our people healthy, our church healthy. Right? And so the evangelists are like, guys, let's run. We got to go get the lost. And Josh is like, wait a second. That guy's bleeding out his side. We, maybe, we should, maybe we should stitch him up before we go back into battle. Do you guys see how they bring balance to each other? And we need the pastors to do that. Final is a teacher. Teachers are called to bring the word of God, instruction, education to the church. And every teacher is first a student. So teachers are lifelong students. They love to study the word. They love to go deep in the word. They love to meditate on the word. They go get the educational tools that they need to be able to dig into the word. Why? So that they can come and teach us. Right, Paul said to Timothy that he needed to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And if he's calling his protege to rightly divide the word of truth, that means that you could wrongly divide the word of truth. And so we need teachers who will put in the work, who will put in the hours of study, bleary-eyed study, early in the morning and late at night. People who are gonna get into this book so that they can rightly divide the word of truth for us so that we're not swept away by every wind of doctrine that blows through the church. God, give us teachers that keep us rooted and grounded in the word of God. Psalm 1 says that if we will meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, then we'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, staying healthy and bearing fruit in every season. God, give us leaders who keep us rooted and grounded in this. Anchors of truth in the community who don't let us get washed away by the waves of this world. Will you guys stand with me? So here's the recap. There's one church. That one church is united by seven pillars. And God has given us specific leaders spiritual leaders who are called to preserve that unity they're called to protect those pillars but they're called to draw the anointings and the giftings and the callings out of us so that we all of us normal people who have jobs and marriages and families and finances and schedules and so that us, the normal people, the normal, we're, just, we're just a bunch of normal Christians, so that we can go do the work of the kingdom. So I want us to pause for a moment. I'd like you to close your eyes.
We're just going to take probably the next, probably about five to ten minutes. We're going to wait on the Lord. And I feel like two things are going to happen. The first is that the Holy Spirit is about to move through this room and it's going to begin to draw anointings out of certain individuals. The oil is going to flow. The Holy Spirit is going to move through this room. Right now, close your eyes. Engage with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to move through this room. And for some of you, He's going to remind you of your calling. And it might be to be one of these spiritual leaders. It might be something else. There are people in this room that are called to run great businesses. Holy Spirit, touch them right now. There are people in this room that are called to adoption and fostering. Holy Spirit, touch them right now. There are people in this room that are called to be great parents and to raise up godly families. Lord, touch them right now. Baptize them right now. Release fresh grace to them right now. And if you don't know what your calling is, I want you to pause before the Lord right now. I want you to ask him, Lord, what are you calling me to do? What gifts have you put inside of me? right now I ask that you would release callings in this room that you would release anointings in this room spiritual gifts right now in this room by the Holy Spirit let's just wait a little bit longer some of you the Lord's going to give you revelation right now as we're being still waiting on the Lord and listening. Some of you, the Lord is going to give you a strategy 
Some of you have been asking the Lord questions and if you'll give just a few minutes to listen, he'll give you answers. He'll give you the next piece of the puzzle. He'll give you the next assignment. Some of you, the Lord's releasing blueprints right now. You know that you've been called to build. You know that you've been called to do a certain work, but you haven't known the how. You haven't known how to do it. And right now, the Lord is going to release a blueprint. He's going to give you the how. Not just the why, not just the what. The Lord wants to give you the how. He wants to give you a blueprint. So that you're not doing it in your own wisdom. He wants to give you wisdom from heaven. A blueprint from heaven. So that you can build according to his will. And accomplish more than you've ever accomplished in your entire life. If that's you right now. If you've been asking the Lord for a how. I want you to reach up your hands and I want you to say, God, give me a blueprint. I've said yes. I'm ready to obey, but give me a blueprint, God. Give me revelation right now of how to do it, and I will immediately obey you. Release that, Lord, right now, release that. If you're near one of those people with hands up, I encourage you just lay hands on them right now. Say, God, give them a blueprint. God, give them a blueprint. Right now, God, let it drop out of heaven. Give them a blueprint right now. They are ready to obey. Give them a blueprint right now. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> 